0: Good morning. You ever really enjoy something to eat? And then it turns on you after a while. Ice cream. Oh man, oh yeah, ice cream hit that hit me a long time ago. That one. I, I am such a fan of banana peppers. And I have eaten them for years. And they turned on me. Yeah, so rough night last night, boy. So if I fall asleep, I trust the Holy Spirit to keep my mouth moving. No, he will. I still love them, though. Man, I got to figure out. Maybe it's the timing. Maybe don't eat them at night. Maybe maybe that's the answer. How, How many like banana peppers? Okay, thank you. I'm not the only weird one. That's good. That's good. Let's pray, and uh, we're going to see what the Lord has this morning. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your love for us. God, we have all come here hungry this morning, hungry for you, hungry for your truth. Hungry for the filling of your Holy Spirit. Hungry for the conquering of a nation, the conquering of a, of a globe where your Son is seated on His throne. We're hungry for that, Lord. We seek you. and We claim the promise that when we seek you, we'll find you. I ask, Father, that you take my mouth, that you use it according to your will. Speak through me what you desire. Nothing of my own do I desire to be found in my words, but only you. Because it is only your words through your Holy Spirit that brings life and life more abundantly. So we seek you this morning, and we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So after last week, uh, the Lord told me last night that he wants me to continue so you can maybe call this a part two of last week. We're going to kind of finish where we left off last week and then go into a couple of the things that have to do with this warfare, this battle. That we're in, and and this is such basic training. And I don't mean basic in the fact that it's it's, uh, minor. In fact, there's probably nothing beyond salvation, there's nothing more major to understand. What I mean is that this is training that every Christian needs to understand every Christian needs to go through because it's not only a battle in your own life, but we're to pick up a sword for others, right? We're to fight for others as well. And if we can't fight for ourselves, we don't know how to fight, allow the Holy Spirit to fight for ourselves, then how in the world are we going to fight for others? So we are going to continue on with, uh, with last week's message. But I want to just say something first. Kind of not related, but it kind of is related. I don't know about you. I don't even remember when they were. When, when were the Grammys? Were they Sunday night? Uh, was it Sunday night? Yeah, because I, I didn't hear about them until Monday. Um, I don't know about you. I, I was enraged. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you can just look up Grammys and it'll probably pop up. There was a song sung by Sam Smith and some girl, and I can't remember her name. I don't even know who he is, except Sam Smith just seems like such an easy name to remember, so I happen to remember it. And it was introduced by Madonna. Those three things have gotten under my skin so heavily this week. The girl is a guy, and the guy wants to be a girl. And Madonna isn't sure who she is. She's a girl that kind of looks like a guy, but is starting to look like something else. I, I don't know what. It's, it's just the whole thing is very sad. It's very twisted. It's very mixed up. But, but I want you to understand this is not art. This is not art. Okay, this is not some artist expressing their art. It's them expressing what's inside of them and what's worse Is it's pushing it off on us. Pushing it off on our kids. How many kids do you think watched that? You know what I wanted more than... I looked all week for this. I I didn't want to see that performance on stage. What I wanted to see was people's faces in the audience. I wanted to see their reaction. Were they appalled like I was? You know... uh, I am, I am so not into the entertainment industry, but yet I, I found myself looking at some things on Fox News about, I guess Ben Affleck was upset about being there or something, or he was bored or maybe tired, I don't know. I really wonder if it was a reaction to this. I have never seen so blatant, and there have been plenty of blatant things, but I have never seen so blatant a display. Open worship of Satan. Open. And yet the very lies that they would tell, just like the satanic temple saying, well, we don't really worship an entity. We just kind of worship the thought of the freedom that that entity represents. Yes, sorry. Sorry, if that's really what you believe, which I don't believe. If that's really what you believe, you are more deceived than I even thought. Because Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There was no third road. You are for him or you're against him. What was on display Sunday night at the Grammys was against him. I've had had conversation with the Lord about this all week. It just infuriated me. I, I, I understand David's heart when he said, "Those who hate you, I hate. Those who are your enemies are my enemies." When will the church wake up and realize that there's a war going on? There's a war going on, guys. That war, that battle is over humanity. The targets are our kids. They always have been. Just over the last few decades, they have been making real headway with our kids. I mean, look at our kids now. Look at the schools. Look at where the real control of this nation is. It's in the education system. Truly. Truly. I mean, i got to hand it to the enemy. The enemy was strategic. But you know what? When you have little power compared to God's power, that strategy only gets you so far. And where it's going to get Him is the awakening of the bride. Because the bride is waking up. The bride is starting to understand what's going on. So I I don't want to stick on this for too long. I will say this, though, in in my conversations with the Lord, because this kind of goes to what Brooke has prayed so many times on the prayer call, just about this cleansing in Hollywood and how she has felt lately like that's changing, and it is. I'm here to declare Hollywood will be no more. It will be destroyed. Amen. Amen. And and for those who are in Hollywood that might hear my voice, that trust the Lord, I urge you to leave. Because it has a target on its back. And the Lord will not delay. He is going to destroy that place. Just like He will all of the world in terms of what the enemy has in strongholds. Do you understand that this world that the enemy took from Adam's hand is no longer his? Jesus paid it all on the cross. He's raising up his remnant to take it back, to take back land. Not just to see people saved. Not just to see revival. Do you understand that that is all part of it? But it's what stems from it. It is the taking of the land that is our birthright. He will complete what he wanted to do through Adam. You ever think about that? What Adam failed in, God will not leave it as a failure. He is going to complete it. The earth will be subdued. And not for the purpose of control, but for the purpose of it being literally owned by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who paid for it. So rest assured... Those who would defy the living God as they did at the Grammys, they will pay a dear price. They will pay a dear price. That price is coming, and it's not just about Hollywood, the town. Because I know Sam Smith doesn't even, he, he lives over in England. God's got long arms. And there will be nowhere to hide. I promise you, there will be nowhere to hide when God begins to reveal this battle. You will see a fear in the enemy that they can't handle. So, anyways, rant over. So last week, we talked about this idea, and this is really important to get. We talked about this idea, this question of, can Christians be demonically possessed? And, and, and I laid out the, the argument on the side of those who say they cannot. And their whole argument is wrapped around one thing, and that's ownership. That you cannot be owned if you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus Christ into your heart, you cannot be owned by the enemy because you are already owned by God. Which I would agree with. Absolutely agree with. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you are stamped by the power of the Holy Spirit. That stamp is a guarantee, the Bible says, until you receive what you were promised, which is eternal life. You are owned, if you will, right? You are stamped. You are owned. You, your ownership is, is, is irrefutable. And that, that wasn't the argument, because that's a misunderstanding of what possession is. Possession has nothing to do with ownership. Possession has to do with control, Right, We talked about this last week, and I would encourage you to to go back and listen to that if if you haven't heard it yet. But possession is really about control. In fact, the Lord, I'm going to read it again, the Lord gave me a definition last week and had me write it down. He said, possession is simply control and authority to control. To what extent control is given or achieved. So control is not just something we give away. Control can also be taken, right? That's what happens in war. When you're at war, you are taking control of something that isn't necessarily being given to you. Okay, but that control can be taken. It can be taken through different means, right? In in the case of war, it's taken through that violence of taking the land, well Satan does that in many ways. There is an achievement of possession when we give him our control. Yeah. And we talked about this last week. If 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 I if I start taking heroin and I become an addict, it was my choice to take that, right? I'm giving control to something else. Even though I'm, I'm still owned, if you will, by Jesus Christ, because He paid everything for me. But I am giving my choice to someone else. When we got saved, the one thing Jesus did not take from us was our free will. We had free will to accept Him, and we have free will to obey Him. We have free will to live with Him. We have free will to build relationships. With him. He doesn't want us to be robots. If he did, it wouldn't be love. Because then we would just be forced to give him what he is forcing us to give. There's no love there. There's servanthood, certainly, but there's no love. There's no relationship. Relationship has to be something that is the choice of the person giving it. Now, Satan, though, he can take in ways that are very deceiving. And and maybe we'll get into this in a little bit. but, But you have two categories as a Christian in terms of demonic possession. And by the way, like we said last week, it's not all or nothing. It's not, you know, exorcist, spin your head around. That's what possession means. No, I'll tell you, I've experienced more possession here in the United States that has then manifested right in front of me than I ever did in Africa. And that's a big statement. Because everybody talks about, well, you go to Africa and, you know, you, you'll see demonic possession. I'll tell you what, you go down to Washington, D.C., you'll see demonic possession. You go to anywhere that has control, where Satan has his hand on a nation, you'll see demonic possession because it's not ownership. It is control. That's what possession is. Now, there are certain ways that things are done. Okay, certain ways from... I don't know, the inception of God's creation, how he decided things to be done. That there are certain ways that they're done. And then Satan comes in and copies those ways. Because Satan still works within the parameters of what God allows him to work. Right? So I want to kind of finish. I know, I know I put the notes on God Squad, but I kind of want to go over these just a little bit, I want to start with the idea of working with the Holy Spirit. There are three prepositions in the Word of God, specifically in the New Testament, is what I'm talking about. Three prepositions that describe how the Holy Spirit interacts with us, with people, specifically with Christians, but with people in general. There are only three, that's not three, is it? Three, there you go. I could count, one, two, three. There are three prepositions that are used in the New Testament that describe the working of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. The first one is called para, P-A-R-A. It means with you. Okay, and by the way, these first two are found in John 14. Let's turn there. John 14, verse 16 and 17. And this is where where Jesus is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not come yet. Remember, He said, trust me, you want me to go, because when I go, the, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, that is two different prepositions there. The first one being para, which means with you. And the second one is N-E-N, meaning in you or inside of you. The first preposition is what the Holy Spirit does even with the world. He comes down alongside and begins to convict of sin. Right? When you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit was working on your heart. Right? Right? He was working on your heart. He wasn't in you yet, but He was working on your heart, working on your mind, to recognize your need for a Savior, right? Okay, that is the para, the P-A-R-A, where He comes down alongside of us. Then there is the N, the E-N preposition, where when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, He then, the Holy Spirit, is placed inside of us. That's what we just read in John. He's placed inside of us. That's what what is recognized in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 where we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is inside. He is stamped on our spirit so that nothing can take it over. Right? Because it is owned. (laughs) It's literally owned by God. It's the third one that I want to pay attention to because in the third understanding, the third preposition, we understand how even Satan will navigate through this process. So the third one is epi, E-P-I. There are only a few instances where the third one is found and it always has a very strange consequence. And we're going to look those up. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 8. Now this is after Jesus came. He rose from the dead. He was with them for 40 days. And this is in the ascension... Right? That's, that's what's talking about here in Acts chapter 1. So verse 8. <clears throat> Let's go back to verse 6. Because they ask him a question before he leaves. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, of, the kingdom to Israel? He, asked, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. <laughs> and I love this. How, how parents do this all the time, but God is so good at it. We ask a question and he redirects to something far more important. Right? He redirects. We, we just want to know the information. And he said, no, 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 no. Let me redirect you that will literally prepare you for what's coming Instead of just knowing. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come what? Upon "Upon you. That is epi. That is the word epi in the Greek there. It literally means what it says here in the ESV. It says it hovers upon you. The, The Hebrew equivalent would be what we see in... Genesis chapter 1, I believe it's verse 2, where the Holy Spirit hovered above the waters, brooded above the waters, right? It's, it's the same concept of, of this, this the power of the Holy Spirit descending upon something or someone, okay? That's, that's what epi means here. So, so Jesus promised this. Said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The second place Epi is seen is Acts chapter 10, verse 44. I want you to turn to that. And to give you a little backstory of what's going on here, this was when Peter was seen a vision of this of this, uh, all this food being lowered down in a big sheet, and it was food he wasn't allowed to eat. And the Lord said, eat. And he said, no, I can't eat. I can't eat that, Lord. And he said, no. He said it three times. And then Peter was told to go to this centurion's house. He went there. Okay, and that, that's, that's where we're at here. So Peter preaches to them in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, Talking about the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. That word on there is epi. Same word. Literally fell upon. To brood upon. Now we, we know as you read what happens later from that falling upon, there was a reaction of these people from the Holy Spirit. Right? They, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They did these things because they were being filtered through with the Holy Spirit. But again, that word epi was that it fell on them. Then the last one is Acts chapter 19 verse 6. And this was, give you a little backstory here, this was when Paul, you know, he was talking to the Ephesians, and, and he said, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't heard about any Holy Spirit. And, and you know, they, they had accepted Christ as Savior, but they had never understood the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and so Paul lays hands on them. This is at the church of Ephesus. So verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came, what? On them, or upon them. Epi. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying there were about twelve men in all. So again, a strange reaction. Not from the filling of the Holy Spirit. I, I know we use that term. But it's really not about the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not about the Holy Spirit coming from the inside and producing out. It is really more about the Holy Spirit consuming everything about that person. It's about the Holy Spirit descending upon that person. You know, think of it this way. I, I always say that in salvation, the way the Father looks at us, those who are saved, is he sees us through a Jesus blood filter, right? I, in my mind, when I think about that, I always think of being, you know, kind of on my knees and, and, and hands and this blanket of his, of his blood just kind of draped over me. And that's how the Father sees me. He sees me through that blanket. He sees me through that covering. Right? Well, it's the same way in terms of what epi means. It is the Holy Spirit controlling every bit about you. Does that make sense? Are you understanding? It's, It's not coming from within to out. It is a control of the whole thing. Not not in part, but in full. In whatever control we give Him. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because it shows by which method the Holy Spirit works in this way. And keep remembering in in your mind that Satan counterfeits everything that the Holy Spirit does. He counterfeits everything that God does. So in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, it says that these gifts were given through the Holy Spirit. Let's read that. Uh, let's go back to 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one, For to one is given what? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Every one of these gifts is given through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not outside of the Holy Spirit, it's not outside of His work. These aren't gifts that you do on your own. These aren't gifts that just manifest from you because you are owned by God. These are gifts that are manifest through you because you give. Your yes, you give the control to God. So it says, again, for one is given through the Spirit. And then he goes on to list all these different words. That word through there is the Greek word dia, which means literally denoting the channel of an act. In other words, it is a conduit, right? That, that the Holy Spirit is doing something through a conduit. You are that conduit when you let the Holy Spirit work through you. So I want, I want to give you an idea of how the Word of God set this up and, and how things are set up because then Satan comes in. And he uses it through the same ways. Demonic possession or Holy Spirit filling, both are a function of our surrender and our obedience. It's not a function of salvation, guys. When we accept Jesus Christ, we have a right. We don't have the manifestation automatically. It depends on our heart. It depends on our yes. And this is not something that is taught. Please, this drives me nuts. This is not something taught. I've seen so many preachers and so many people that, okay, in, in fact, I was just watching this, this preacher on this, and, and I'm not downing him. He's a good guy, but he's just so off in this. He's, he said, okay, think of, think of a baby term. Think of your most baby, basic baby term and just say it really fast, over and over and over again. It'll loosen up your mouth. And then you'll start learning how to speak in tongues. What part of that is in the Word of God? How about zero? There's no part of that that is epi at all. In fact, that is taking control ourselves, trying to manipulate what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And and by the way, it isn't that hard. I mean, honestly, it's really hard to do it that way. Cuz you're never going to get the results. All you're going to get is probably confused. Because really it's about the Holy Spirit. It's not about you. It's about your yes. It's about you telling him yes and him working through you as a conduit. We just read in 2 Corinthians, right? That it's through Him. So because of this, remember, that is the process God works through. It's not about ownership. Now that our ownership is in God's hands, now what is the next step? Well, the Bible calls it sanctification, right? Our justification of sin is is complete. When we receive Him in our heart as Savior, it's complete. It's done. Nothing more we can do in that because He finished everything. He did everything. You can't earn it, the Bible says. You can only receive it. So that part's done. Now, what is next? It's what Paul talks about 99.5% of the time. It's relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about building that intimacy with Him, knowing who He is. John 15, going from the point of being a servant of Jesus Christ to being a friend of Jesus Christ. That wasn't just for the disciples. That was for you and me. They were plowing new ground. But it's for you and me. We're to build relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we begin to do. And in that, it's a series of giving our yes or our no. Right? That's what building relationship is. We give our yes, give our yes, give our yes. We're tested, tested, tested. And then we either come through shining as gold or we fail. And most times we fail before we understand that That is a normal, normal thing. When you're moving to understand something, don't get discouraged if if you're being tested in it. Don't get discouraged if there's failure in it. Because the only ultimate failure is if you never say yes. And then you're dead. That's pretty much the ultimate failure. If you wake up every morning and you say yes, whatever you want to teach me, yes, please help me to understand. Then then God takes from what happened before, what happened yesterday, and he starts to build upon it. You know, some of the greatest learning tools are failures, right? There are failures. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean you want to strive for failure so then you can have a success. It's not, it's not about that, because then you're missing the one thing that you need to learn, and that is that You are striving for what God wants, right? You are giving him your yes, letting him do his will in your life. But understand that when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, it doesn't change our free will. So you have that free will to give to somebody. And we already talked there there's only two ways to go. You could give it to God, you could give it to the enemy. You can't even hold it back for yourself because Jesus said anything that is not of me is the enemy. So so again there's there's one of two ways. So so in this I just wanted to talk about what does it mean to fight the demonic spirits in your life and in the lives of your family and friends what does it mean to take up that battlefield right because first of all it's understanding getting past the deception that you are untouchable <laughs> no such thing guys no such thing your salvation Your justification is untouchable. But your life, your life is subject to you saying yes or no. And because of that right that you have, there is a foe that has a right to test it. If you don't believe that, or don't understand that, go read the book of Job. Because that's literally what the book of Job is about. I, I know for years I had such a problem with, it, you know, it's kind of like God threw Job under the bus. I mean, have you ever thought of it that way? I'm, I'm like, you know, God's the one that said, well, what about my servant Job? You know, when when Satan's talking about, you know, there, there's, there's no uh, holiness in the world. Well, what about my servant Job? I'm sure if Job was part of that conversation, he's like, no, don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> it's easy to think God threw him under the bus, under the bus. But in reality, Satan had every right to test it. That's what the book's about. You cannot come forward as shining gold if you are not tested in the fire of that gold you can't it's not even possible so God in throwing him under the bus if you will it, it wasn't about eh, I hope he does okay no it's about what God saw on the other end the testimony that Job would carry throughout the rest of his life and because of being in the word of God For the rest of eternity. And it required that testing. Satan had the right. Now, you can argue all you want. But honestly, you just need to be mad at Adam. He's the one who gave the right. I've, I've had those conversations before and then I thought, well, that's really unfair to say because if I was If Adam was perfect and I was his son, I probably would have screwed up. Somebody would have. Certainly long before me. So then we have to learn how to operate in a world that is a war zone. And learn that we can be victorious. Not just in our own life. But victorious for those whom are around us, whom we love. Who we fight for. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul starts to bring out here what it is about this battlefield that most do not understand. 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to start at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up. Against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. First of all, notice at the end there, he quantifies your battlefield. You better conquer your battlefield first before you start fighting on somebody else's. Because otherwise, you're fighting on somebody else's without power. You know what Satan loves? He loves a battle where Christians come to the battlefield with no power. Because it's a win-win for him. When he can deceive the world, especially deceive Christians, into understanding that, well, you can't be demonically possessed. And, and even oppressed is is not like, you know, Controlling you—it's—it's it's more kind of this thing that that comes around you, and you know you're just oppressed, and you just got to fight through it, and and I don't know, declare something. What a feckless bride. He never intended that. God never intended that to be the case. He intended for us to know our relationship with him to know who we are on that battlefield for ourselves first, but then to learn how to fight for others. Because there are people who can't fight for themselves. So what did he say here? Well, we walk in the flesh. We all know that. We live in a three-dimensional world, and yet he said our warfare is not in this three-dimensional world. If you can't look beyond what you see and what you understand, then you're just bait. That's it. You're just a target. He said, for we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What is a stronghold? That, that word there in the Greek literally means a fortified city. It's, a stronghold is kind of like a city that has a huge wall around it that's fortified. That's what that Greek word there means. So, so when we have strongholds in our life, because it's referring to sin, it's referring to something of the enemy when we have strongholds in our life it's it's the it's the particular sin or thought process that has around it built up this fortification that is very difficult to break through i can tell you this strongholds it is very rare very rare that strongholds are broken in and of yourself. It usually takes. Some help. With outside. Fighting. Alongside you. You know. I mean. Think about it. Somebody who is addicted to drugs. They're, they're addicted to heroin. They can't just. Or, or an alcoholic. They, they, they can't just decide. Okay. I'm, I'm going to quit. I mean. Can it happen? Yeah. Has it happened? Yeah. It's extremely rare. I'm not saying it can't happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. It absolutely can. I'm just trying to get you to understand that there is a battlefield that you're to be a part of and you're to be a part of it in power because not just in your own life but in the lives of those around you. So to break that stronghold, it can be broken. How? By understanding the battle's not in the flesh. Well, here, you're a heroin addict, let me give you a different drug. Just come here, you know, once a week, and you'll take this different drug, and then you'll be much better. I'm sorry. Uh, who, I, I'd love to know the person who actually thought that up. I want to slap them in the face. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. It's like, okay, we're going to get you addicted on something that's not quite as powerful, I mean, it it won't kill you, but it'll just ruin your life. That makes no sense. Wait a second, we we have the power to be on that battlefield to break those strongholds. So when is the bride going to understand that and go after them, for the sake of their family, for the sake of the bride, for the sake even of the world? Satan's the one who builds up those strongholds. And by the way, if you think this doesn't affect you, it affects every one of us. Satan doesn't always just get an authoritative hold on our lives through temptation. Okay, please understand that. I mean, he can do it that way. You know, if you're tempted to look at porn and you look at porn, that is... Here, let me, let me authorize this, and okay, here is an authority that I'm giving you, Satan. And the more you do it, the more authority you're giving. Okay, that, that certainly happens, certainly is, is possible, and happens all the time. But that's not his only tactic. In fact, usually he uses tactics where you don't know it's him. And so often he starts on little kids that are the most vulnerable. You know, a little child going through a trauma of something. What does that trauma do, especially if it is sexual in nature? Did the the child choose that? No. Did Satan use it to bring in fear? Yes. Did he use it to bring in other things? Yes. Even as an adult, he can bring fear into our life. He can... Think of it this way, because the Bible says fear is a spirit. He can tempt us to be afraid. Well, you know, sometimes we need to be afraid, Greg. No. To be controlled by fear is not just experiencing fear. They teach in the teams that fear is supposed to be your ally. They didn't say, hey, you'll never be afraid. You know, when you're the only one left and there's a hundred on the other side and you're still fighting. They know that you're going to be afraid. It's about what that fear does to you. Does that fear stop you from what God is trying to teach you to do? Does that fear in any way hinder you from stepping forward in God's plan and His will? Here's a big one Satan uses. Because, see, all he wants is to get a foot in the door. That's all he wants. How many times have you heard pastors and, even more, worship leaders that had this amazing ministry and then all of a sudden... You know, they're found out to have this sexual addiction or have this problem or that problem. What is that from? Does it, does it mean they're not saved? Does, does it mean that, you know, what, what it means is there was a point at which Satan got his foot in the door and they didn't recognize it. Or they didn't think it was a big deal because they figured their warfare was in this world. No, if, if, I I mean, this is no big deal. If, if I, if I watch this, nobody knows. I'm sitting in here by myself. Nobody knows. Guess what? First of all, God knows. Hello. But so does Satan. It's a door opening. You're you're just creaking a door open and letting him get his foot in and you think that it won't make a difference because nobody knows anyways. Recognize the battlefield is not in the flesh. The battlefield is in the Spirit. If you give him an inch, he will then push for a mile. Anybody who has gone through any addiction or had family members with any addiction what, what, whatsoever. Understand that. A porn addiction doesn't start with, well, I will just absorb porn 24-7. It doesn't start that way. Certainly not for a Christian because at the beginning there, there's this emotion of guilt There's this understanding that that's not good for me. That's not what God wants. But see, when we fight the fight in the flesh, Satan stays right there with his foot in the door. We have to understand what it means to fight in the Spirit. That's what Paul talked about here. He said, we destroy, verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, everything that Satan said that is against the knowledge, knowledge of God, we destroy. We destroy those. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that mean? You, you've heard Alexis, she, she quotes that verse all the time. What does it mean to take every thought captive? Well, here's an easy one. How many times are you sitting there on your own? You're sitting there in a, in a place, you're even even talking to the Lord or whatever, and then all of a sudden this fear comes over you. Could be out of the blue, could be for some reason. I don't know. Could be because some guy's peering in your window like happened to me when I was you know, nine years old sorry i won't tell that story i don't want to derail but fear came in fear came in what does it mean to fight that right then well for me it was go up and get your shotgun which i did but in the reality it's recognizing what it is it's fear fear is the spirit do you know 99% of fear never comes true? That right there ought to tell you how effective of a tool it is for Satan. Because he gets our mind going with things and ramps it up so much to where it literally stifles us. So so what does it mean in that verse to hold it captive? First recognize it's a spirit then command that Spirit. Recognize that you have authority in that battle. Wait a second. Wait a second. I will not succumb to this. And and I do this all the time. I do it out loud. I will not succumb to this. I bind you in Jesus' name. You have no authority here. If I have given any authority, Father, forgive me for it. In Jesus' name. And I bind you in Jesus' name. I cast you to the abyss. In Jesus' name. I'm telling you, every time I do that. Every time it's gone like that. I, I can't explain that. Except that it's a spirit. And guess what? The spirit's no longer there. Can Satan send another one? Sure. Sure. Bring on the collateral damage. Send every single one of them there. What you have to do is you have to take every thought captive. Do not let your mind wander as to the what ifs. Well, what if, what if this really does happen? You know, what if, what if I really do lose my job tomorrow? What if... You know, my boss says this against me, and, and what if I don't get that raise? What if I say this that you're trying to get me to say, Lord, and they hate me for it? What if? What if? Stay away from the what ifs. Do you know what if is the greatest weapon that Satan uses against faith? There's nothing good in a what if. There's nothing good in it. Satan uses that to diminish your faith, to bring you to a place of thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe ultimately God isn't in this, and okay, man, man maybe I heard wrong, or maybe I made a mistake, and maybe, maybe when the Bible says this, he, he wasn't referring to this situation. Get rid of the what-ifs in your life and just begin to trust. So you take every thought captive. You literally... Take it captive in the spirit. By the way, just so you know, do it out loud. Satan can't read your mind. (laughs) He can't read your mind. But he can hear your voice. And he knows your authority. So take every thought captive to obey Christ and then being ready. That process alone... As you walk in that process, as you fight these spirits that come against you, what happens? It's just like a, a team member going through SEAL training or or any of the types of teams, special recon teams. Any of those, the more they go through it, the more they deal with it, the more they fight and learn those, those battle preparations and those... Those battle victories, the more they do it, the more than they can perform it out of, outside of themselves. I mean, what SEAL training is, is to learn within yourself your limits, your capabilities, and how to work in a team. But when you get to the point where you graduate from that, that's when you finally become effective, That's when you become effective. And it's the same in this army of the Lord. As you learn to fight these battles that Satan comes against you directly with, then it says here, then you learn. Then you learn to begin to fight for others. And it says to be ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. and so often christians get away with pushing away these strongholds pushing away these places of enemy control by compartmentalization well you know that's that's a part of my life that you know i just don't think about that much because it it, it just kind of is what it is You know, I want to focus on this other part where I can really have victory for the Lord and victory in the Lord. Not realizing that it's that stronghold that taints everything that you do. The stronghold is what has to be broken. And the stronghold is simply anything that controls your life that is not God. It it can be hidden in so many ways. And 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 by the way, a stronghold can be a stronghold for one person and not for the next. Paul said that that it could be sin for one and not for another. So it's not a matter of us standing on the sideline and judging all the strongholds. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking in here and I see I see ten strongholds we need to deal with right now. It's not about that. I need to look at myself because. I can't come and fight your strongholds one if I have strongholds of my own. I also can't fight your strongholds if you don't want to fight them yourself. You have free will. The people in your life, your family, your friends, they have free will. There has to be an agreement to fight these things. But then when there is, we have The weapons to fight it with. We talked about this a couple times before. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. God makes it real simple to understand if something is of Him or not. Right? In in a general sense. Matthew 12, verse 25. Says this. Wait. Matthew 12. Oh, I went too far, sorry. Matthew 12, verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, remember in in this passage they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, by Satan. And he said, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. He said, recognize that it's real simple. There's two choices. There's not a third. You're for Him or you're against Him. That's it. Those are the two choices. You're for Him or you're against Him. In what we recognize in our, our building of relationship with the Lord, in your heart, it has to be about building that relationship, not just bringing on Relief. Not just bringing on, you know, uh, uh, I just, I just, I'll say yes until you give me a decent income and, and, and then I, can, I got it from there. You know, I'll just, I'll just kind of maintain. First of all, that's not relationship. That's not relationship at all. What he's saying is, you're either for me or you're against me. He promotes the fact that he wants all in. There's no partial in. You're for me or you're against me. When you do not give him everything, you leave doors open for the enemy to get his foot in the door. But when we do get saved, when we do build relationship with him, he gives us power in the spirit that Paul was talking about before. The weapons of our warfare. We have power in the spirit to fight. Right? I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And this, this was after Jesus had sent out the 72. They went out by twos. They went out to, to really on a mission of learning. It would have been so cool to be a part of that. I mean, they, they knew nothing. They knew, I mean, they knew what the Lord had taught, but there, there was no practical application yet in their own lives. And so he sent them out. Here, I'm going to send you on a mission. And on this mission, all of a sudden, they're, they're casting out demons. They're, they're healing and praying for healing and all these things. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 10 says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. First of all, understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, he wasn't saying, yeah, you know, while you guys were gone for a couple of weeks, I saw Satan fall out of heaven. It's not what he was saying. Jesus was looking prophetically of what will come. Because trust me, there is still an accuser that accuses you day and night. He still has access to the courts. But there is coming a day when he doesn't. And that day is coming soon. In fact, it has to come for the bride... To lift Jesus on the throne. For him to literally be on the throne through his bride. So we're given this power to tread on snakes and scorpions. And that power does not come just because you're saved. Okay. The, the justification of faith gives you... The opportunity for that, yes. But it's relationship that actually brings that, yes. It's relationship with Him that brings that power to tread on... By the way, it says serpents and scorpions. It's talking about demonic spirits. That we have authority to tread on them. One, when we... Through salvation we have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but we have given him our yes. We we are building relationship with him. In that process, he teaches us about the weapons of our warfare. He teaches by the way, what is the greatest weapon of our warfare? Well, something before that. It's understanding that you have authority. It's understanding that God is giving you authority as you build a relationship with Him. Not just sitting back, well, someday God's going to come get him. I can't wait. God, come get him. I'm going to just keep my head under the covers. You let me know when he's gone. The whole time he's saying, no, dude, you're supposed to be my hands and my feet. (laughs) So be him understand your authority understand that as you build relationship with Jesus Christ understand your authority it is no comparison with the enemy the enemy does not even compare to the power of God even the power of God that he places in you to fight these strongholds there's no comparison That's why deception is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Because if he can get you to think that you don't have the power to do it through your relationship with Christ, then he's won the battle before tanks even got onto the battlefield. Right? So we have power to tread on snakes and scorpions. But how often does a Christian think, well... Yeah, but I I got this one little thing over here. This is just kind of my thing. You know, it doesn't really hurt anything. It's just kind of my thing. I kind of keep it separate. Nobody knows about it. It's okay. I just just do it a little bit. It's not a big deal. God said, you can't handle a coal and not expect to be burned. In fact, let's turn there. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 and 28 say this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? See, when we even let a door open a little bit, Satan gets a foothold in there. Trust me, his... his, goal is not just to keep a foothold his goal is always stronghold because he is sent to steal kill and destroy that's it nowhere in there does it say that he is sent to manage he, well he's just he's just kind of here to manage you and manage your sin so maybe you're just not too effective and no he wants your destruction he wants your death, ultimately. So you can't play with these things that you know are not of God. Now, now understand, there are many things in our lives that we may not know are not of God. Right? That's where the only way we can know is to have that intimacy with Him. To have that communication with Him. Well, well God, you know, on the surface... Going to this, this, on this trip or this place or whatever. On the surface, it's neither bad or good. I don't know. But God, what do you want me to do? Because, see, you see the end from the beginning. You see the strategies of the enemy. And God said, when we put on the armor, Ephesians 6, we can know his strategies as well. That's another big part of fighting this fight. You've got to put on the right defensive equipment. Not just so you can take the hits. Right? The shield of faith. But you can actually discern the battlefield. You can know with with shoes of peace, you can know that peace from God of knowing where you're to step. That's a part of this battle. And we, we won't turn there, but, but really look that up. Ephesians 6. And then I want you to last place to turn to is Revelation 12. Now this, this is what Jesus was referring to when the 72 came back to him. When he said, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning. This is literally the overcoming of Satan by the bride. Jesus already did his part, right? Jesus did his part. We're supposed to be his hands and feet. We're supposed to do our part. So Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 10, says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. What does that mean? That his kingdom is here and he's put on the throne. It, wait, 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 is this talking about physically? Wait, wait, I, okay, that, I thought that was happening in the thousand year reign. No, that's not what he's talking about. This, because if you go on, this, this thing goes on and, and talks after that about the first beast and the second beast. Talks about these other things. Jesus Christ will rule this earth through his bride. Why? Because it's what he wanted to do through Israel. He wanted to and Israel rejected him. Now, will he through Israel? Yes. Yes. God always fulfills his promises. That's what the thousand-year reign is for. He will take a physical seat on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's coming. But that's not what this is talking about because this is talking about the bride. You understand that the bride and Israel's future, uh, those are two different things. You understand that, right? Because Israel does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and he will not come until they do as a nation, not as individuals. Right now, you have them say that he is the Messiah as individuals. They're called Messianic Jews that believe Jesus Christ as Savior. They are effectively part of the bride, right? No different than you and I. That's what what Paul said. Gentiles were grafted into this promise. Jesus will fulfill what He wanted to do with Israel. He will fulfill it through His bride. That's the time in which we're in right now. He is bringing that about. These battlefields that are, are on grand display are for the bride to win. Not be afraid of. Not shy away from, but understand her authority, walk in the purity of that authority, and go after the enemy and take land. By, by the way, that doesn't mean go pick a fight that you just kind of feel like picking. Let the Lord lead you because some people are led to do different things that others are not. The Lord will be clear to you. You know, it doesn't mean that you travel up to Boston, walk into a witch's coven and say, I'm here to take this land. I mean, you can if the Lord told you to do it. In fact, you better if the Lord told you to do it. But make sure he's telling you. What the bride needs to start with is themselves and their own land. You guys all live somewhere, right? You live somewhere. You breathe somewhere. Where you are, you have authority to take that land. So do it. Take that land. And then God will start to expand that out. So let's go back to Revelation 12. And the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, Satan, has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him, and this is what I wanted you to see, verse 11. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, first and foremost, that's what gave them their right to conquer, was to be a child of God, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. So by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, in other words, the expanded outward contact of what Jesus is doing inside of them. Don't hold it in. Let it out. Right? Let it out. It's to come out. The word of your testimony. And finally, that that they love not their lives even unto death. All that means is this. They didn't allow any thought, result, any fear of what the battlefield may hold for them. They didn't let let that stop them from getting on the battlefield. They weren't afraid of what the enemy could do. Doesn't mean that they wouldn't face it. When you go to war, you, you certainly know that death is a possibility. When you... When you walk out into eastern Wilmington, you certainly know death is a possibility. (laughs) But you walk without fear. You walk without fear because the Lord has told you to walk. You walk in the authority that he gives you, knowing that he has purpose in your life. That purpose is not to just be discarded. Oh, good night, he is telling his bride, your purpose is great. Your purpose is rulership. Your purpose is letting him flow through you in a way that the enemy cannot stop. And then unifying with others doing the same thing because then Satan can't touch it. You know what's interesting to me? Satan uses fear to get a little foot in the door, right? Do you know who is more susceptible to that fear than anyone? Satan. Trust me, he is. Because he knows what's coming. We're in a time where he really... I love God, man. God is—he is just an amazing strategist. Satan thought this was his time. Like we, we saw and heard his reaction when he found out that it was not. For the first time, he was dumbfounded. He was—I I, want to say—whining like a baby, because that's in reality what he was doing. But he was afraid. He was afraid. Why? Because if the bride comes to the place of really understanding what it means to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, Satan can't touch it. He is afraid. So understand that in your own walk, you have a responsibility of starting there. Of taking your own land of taking your own yes and giving that control to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is then that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Epi in the Greek, will come upon you and will fulfill what God is doing and wants to do. Alex, come on up.
1: Before we close in prayer, I just want to quickly say by way of testimony, um, of some of the examples that Greg used today in his message had to do with these um, areas of temptation and strongholds and things of a moral nature that hit our lives. And, and we do we do take stands against that. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit was was impressing on me when it comes to strongholds being built is Areas where we aren't willing to trust him or believe for what he who he is and who we are in him. And those footholds really create walls of unbelief in believers. You've ever heard of the term unbelieving believers. And one thing that was mentioned today that is very significant um, is that we need to be whole. And let God work in us before we have capacity to work for others. You know what they say on airplanes. Put your, you know, if there's a change in altitude. Put your mask over yourself first. Then over your child. But the panicked parent who wants to help the child sometimes will do the opposite. You cannot help people when you're not walking in a kingdom reality, in a place of faith. And I will tell you by my own testimony, when God called ignition into existence and called Greg into ignition. One of his first tests of faith was me. Because here I was, women's ministry, um, doing the Lord's work. Nobody would have said I was not supportive or wouldn't have supported, quote unquote, him. But I'm going to do my ministry. You do your ministry. And he had to get to a place with the Lord where and this is an offensive statement unless you really have come to the place where your ultimate prize and ultimate goal of your existence is jesus christ alone he had to get to the place where it did not matter even about his own family doesn't mean he would that he wouldn't fight for it. it you know to say doesn't matter really offends christians he loved me adored me and um Had to get to the place where he was not afraid, subconsciously. It wasn't an emotion of fear, but had to get to where he was not afraid to lose me. Meaning, meaning he was going to entrust me into the hands of the Father. Did he want to lose me? Of course not. He would have given his life for me. But when you are walking in exactly what the Lord wants, You can't shrink back. You can't have a foothold of hesitation because of what even somebody in your own family would say or think. And when he placed me in the Lord's hands and was undeterred, I actually was able to get the revelation from the Lord to take the steps in ignition that God was calling me into. But I was resisting I had no intention. I had a five-year plan on paper for my women's ministry at the time. I mean, there was just not, you know, you can't just make this decision, Greg. You know, you can't just do this. You know, God God and me, we, we got a plan here. And the Lord, what I didn't see, couldn't see, and now see so clearly, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, and it sounds crazy, but I'm so thankful that he was willing to, to lose me, i.e. entrust me into the hands of the Father so that God could get a real, really get a hold of my life. If he, had tried, if he had shrunk back and fought the battle in the flesh by appeasing me, waiting on me, okay, well, you know, if you feel like you have a five-year plan, then I'll support that. Maybe I'll just wait. Oh, man, not the way the Lord was talking to him. God was saying, it's time. It's time. I'll speak to her. You obey me. You listen to me. Let me deal with her. If he had tried to deal with me out of the Christian love that a husband should have for their wife, according to the religion, ignition wouldn't be started. All the people, all the people whose lives are dramatically changed, not only here, but in Nigeria, would not have happened. These are things that are hard to face. They're hard to face. Don't let anyone or anything Whether moral, whether influence, whether anything deter you from what God is asking you to do. Because when you are willing to do what God says, no matter what, you will entrust those things into the hands of the Father. It's so key. It's so key. There there just can't be, we just don't, we're in a unique time. We have no more time for excuses. It is obey God. Um, it is obey God. He loves you so much. Don't shrink back in the path that he has for you. Whatever you're facing, even if you don't know what it will look like, he will, God will ask you to make very unorthodox, and when I say unorthodox, meaning very um, seemingly human, irrational decisions. But when you know his voice, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. They follow me. And that's what he expects, no matter how um, strange it may appear. And I know personally, I'm so thankful for that very unorthodox choice that only we know he was making. He was, I mean, I saw it in him. He was so undeterred. And I'll tell you, in the spirit, it rocked me. Because I know how much power I have in my household. And he wasn't going to let one single bit of it deter him from doing what God wanted. That impacted me. And guess what it showed me? Even though I thought I knew stuff and, you know, I'm in ministry. It showed me. The power of God in a life. And I wanted it. I wanted that. I wanted it. I saw the transformation in him while kicking and screaming that he was doing something that wasn't part of my five-year on-paper plan. Praise God for people who are filled with faith. You cannot fight for others until you are there yourself. You've got to know. You, take authority. you can't take authority over your day Don't think you can take authority over all the other things you want to fight. It has got to be a resolute place, and it is a glorious place. And I, for one, um, attribute what God did in Greg to bringing me where I needed to be. And God would have done it regardless. He would have done it even if Greg had shrunk back in his faith. God would have somehow made a way to bring breakthrough. But there wasn't delay because of Greg being willing to be obedient. So this is not... Lifting up Greg, except for his yes. So all he had to give was yes. And he wasn't going to let anything, including his wife, who thought she knew a little bit about ministry and didn't want to go from a big classroom into a, a basement, <laughs> you know, because of the changes. And But God had to strip everything away. And I'm so thankful. Go, oh, Whatever God's stripping away, trust me, you need to have it stripped. He has so many big things for you. And what you hold on to are crumbs compared to what God has. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. You are so mighty. You are so awesome. And God, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of this flesh, but they are mighty. They are mighty to the tearing down of strongholds because of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you paid You paid it all. You paid for freedom, for victory, for breakthrough, for triumph, for conquering. Thank you that you love us so much. You fight for us. God, don't let us be deterred. Every one of us is burdened for someone that we want to see free. We want to see delivered. We maybe want to see um, just be in the perfect of your will instead of the permissible all the time because they they fight you on it. We want to see people walking in the perfect. That is what you are asking of your remnant. Will you rise and do my perfect will for you? God, I thank you. You are worthy. You are worthy. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and all the years of my life when you allowed the permissible. But God, you are worthy of me doing the perfect. Your plan, your will, your way. You are worthy of it, God. Jesus, you paid it all for me. How can I not give you everything? So, God, I pray that over each of us today. And that that stance, that resolute stance you give us in the spirit will itself bring breakthrough to our loved ones. Because of our prayer. Oh, God, how you move in prayer when we just fill it with our faith that we're willing to spend all the currency of our faith into our prayers. You will bring breakthrough to every one of our requests that we, and petitions we bring before you. Thank you, God. You answer prayer. So I just pray that place of surrender upon everyone today and everyone who will hear this message, God, that we would give the enemy no room, no space, not even a crack to breathe into the door of our lives, much less. Get his fat foot in there. We will not allow it. And I praise you, God. It is only by your strength that we can do this. So I just worship you and praise you and lift up the name of Jesus. Take this word, drive it deep into the soil of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.